Vocation salons are small group classes of 10 students. We meet on Zoom for voiceover industry discussion, script analysis, directed reads and more. They're divided into experience levels, intermediate and professional, and a new tech-focused salon will be starting in the spring of 2023. Classes fill up on a first-come, first-served basis. To find out more and to purchase tickets, join our Facebook group, VO Salon, or visit the website, vocationconference.com salon. See you there. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Is that we can start every show with singing in the rain? Well, you can you can start it that way. That's I'm fine with that. <laughs> Jamie, uh, yeah. how many auditions did you do over the weekend? Oh, over the weekend, two. <laughs> two? Maybe maybe less than that. <laughs> One? Really? <laughs> yeah, I didn't do any over the weekend. Oh, see, any. I always get mine like on Friday night and then I typically don't do them until Sunday night. <laughs> oh, see, I try and get mine done Friday night. <laughs> and then night. they're due on Monday. Yeah. Yeah, I should do them on Friday. I try to do as many as I can Friday, but um, my kids and I and Sean, my husband, actually, we're all in the Music Man mm. and we rehearse on Friday nights, but the kids rehearsal starts at five. And so by the time everyone's home from school and we go out the door, it's like and by the time we get back, it's like 839. Yeah. So I wait until Sunday sometimes. <laughs> and what we're we're alluding to here is that agents. Oh, by the way, because <laughs> we haven't set this up at all. <laughs> the we're talking about auditions today. Everything about auditions. Our first episode we're we're devoting it to auditions, and we're talking about this phenomena of agents sending a million auditions on a Friday night, which is kind of nice because I feel like it's nice to have auditions that you can take a second to think about yeah like i always appreciate when there's a video game audition that has a lot of different roles in it and long scripts that are the audition sent on friday and then i open it up on friday and i look at it and i kind of think about it and then i do it on sunday when i know i have you know more time that's nice i don't mind that and but i don't really mind rush auditions either because let's talk about the audition process, Jamie. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, Great, the, okay. It really does depend on the genre, like you said. Um, yes. Video games, there's a lot of backstory op- often, so you have to read a ton of plot, backstory of the character, and there's a lot of prep that goes into it. You know, you, often you get artwork, so that takes a little bit of sort of figuring out. But if it's like a promo or a commercial or a corporate thing, you can kind of turn that around and bash that out immediately. So... Let me let's talk about our processes then, because I audition very differently from a lot of people. Um, and uh, I'm sure you have your own way of auditioning as well. And we never talk about this with each other, really, no. in general, in voiceover. So let me just ask you, what is your audition process from the time an audition gets into your inbox until you send it, send it out? Give us a step by step. All right. So a big part of it for me was actually getting this booth. Um, I'm in a studio bricks and I have it set up. It's pretty much ready to go at the drop of a hat, like immediately. So when I have auditions and I need to turn them around quickly, I can just get in here, 
press record and go, basically. It's like frictionless. I can just do it. So that, given the fact that they come in at any time of day and I work from home, it enables me to just turn things around quite quickly. That tends to be for agency manager kind of gigs because those things don't necessarily come in in bunches. What does tend to batch up are like the pay-to-play kind of gigs. And that mm-hmm. will be when I come in and line a bunch up and do them one after another in a big lump. Um, I don't tend to get too many auditions in a day because I'm a niche voice. So a busy day for me would be 10. <laughs> um, but it's often more in the sort of five kind of range. So when, uh, for example, a manager or an agent audition comes in, I'll the first thing I'll do is check to see the suitability, make sure I haven't already submitted to someone else, make sure I'm right for the role. And uh, then I'll I'll come in. Well, for a start, I'll start recording outside of the booth. I like to make sure all the engineering technical stuff is done outside of the booth. And then I walk into the booth because I want to be in purely performance mode. And then um, I'll uh, have it up on the screen and I'll watch any reference videos or, you know, whatever else, music, listen to the music if it has it, read the specs and then do the read, you know, read through it. And if I need to do it again, I'll do it again. And if that's the only audition I need to do, I'll then go out the booth, stop recording and then put my engineer hat on. Now, I don't go nuts with the processing or anything like that, but I listen to it from a almost like a casting perspective, like which one do I prefer? What do I like? What I don't like? Oftentimes it is just one read and I'll just go and trim out the front and the back and I'll send that. But I certainly listen through all the way before I send it off. And uh, I pretty much do that with every every audition. Um, so if it's batched, I'll record them all one one after another in the booth and then I'll go out and I'll edit them and ultimately send them one after another as well. So very much splitting my brain between engineer and performer. Um, That's how I do it. How do you do it? (laughs) I am completely the opposite (laughs) in like almost every way. My life, my voiceover career, I, I feel like it is built on efficiency like trying to get out the most perfection the most professional product possible in the shortest amount of time because for me the more work I can get done in a short amount of time the more time I have to be with my family and or run you know nava and conferences and other things that I want to do so the way that I do it is um I'm in my booth almost all day long unless I am working on like today I was I was sitting at my computer doing some accounting that stuff I might sit at my laptop and do but other than that I I spend my entire day in my booth as soon as an audition pops up for me in my inbox I'm already in my booth so I open it up I skim the specs I skim the script I imagine what the commercial sounds like in my head my recording software is already in my booth I take a breath I hit record. I record the audition. When I know I need to take another big breath, I stop the recording. I take a big breath. I start the recording again and I punch in. Once it's done, I do zero editing on the back end because I started before I took a breath and I ended (laughs) before I took another breath. So there's no editing that needs to be done. 
um, and then I export it as an MP3 and name it correctly and upload it. So each audition takes me on average under five minutes, usually two minutes per audition if it's a commercial audition. If it's um, something where I have to watch a reference video or if it's a game or something that takes longer time, I'll, I'll spend more time researching and prepping. But even so, it takes me usually under 10 minutes to do all of that and record the audition and send it off. That means for me, I can do, you know, five to 10 auditions in 10 to 30 minutes. And that's all the time that I spend auditioning throughout the day. Um, And I love it. I absolutely love auditioning that way. For me, it makes everything so low pressure because I'm never overthinking anything. There's, There's just always another audition and another audition and another audition. And I'm trying to just like connect to the script, give my read and send it off. And then I don't even think about it. Like, I don't even listen back through to hear how it how it went. Yeah. So maybe I've left a click or (laughs) or a weird sound or a breath um, in a place where it wasn't supposed to be. But I don't I don't know of anyone who's ever lost a job because of mouth clicks or a click in the (laughs) or like unless it's a chronic problem. Yeah, unless it's a chronic problem. I feel like even if you. Even if you made a mistake, you know, like hopefully you don't make a mistake. If I make a mistake, I stop the recording and I go back and I punch in and record over the mistake. Um, But for me, like starting as a live performer, if you're a live performer, you go on stage and you get one shot and whatever comes out is what comes out and you've given it your best and that's what the audience hears. Like you don't get a chance to stop the, the audition or the show and be like, wait, 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 sorry, sorry. I'm so sorry. That high note was not what I wanted it to be. Can we go back a few measures? Thanks. Yeah. Like, let's go back and. So presumably, sing it again. you, I mean, not that you ever really do it, but you haven't seen any benefit in going back and trying it a second time or a third time. You just go with your gut instinct on the first read. So often, my gut instinct on the first read, I'll get through two sentences and I'll go, oh, no, 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 no. That's not what this is at all. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, I didn't realize this is a negative political ad instead of like a positive political ad or whatever. Like, and so then I'll just stop the whole recording. I'll delete everything I did because I'm not going to keep it. What's the point? Yeah. And then I'll just start again at the top. Or if I get like five seconds in and I mispronounce something, I'll just delete the whole thing and start again. And then, but once my first take is done and I'm going to do a second take, I just stop everything, take a breath hit record, do another take. And then if I know in my heart, like, oh, I like that second take better than the first one, I'll switch the first and the second one. Yeah. I'll keep the name slate at the top, but then just switch them. And I, but I don't listen back. I love that. And I wish I could do it. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I mean, for time saving purposes, yeah, that I, I really want to get into that. But from my perspective, there have been so many times when I've gone out outside of my performance mode, left the booth, gone and sat down with my headphones, listened back and gone, oh no, that wasn't, that didn't sound like it sounded in the room. And I'd had to go back in with a fresh perspective on it and I gave a much better read. I also, I think in in some ways our careers are a little different because I'm not getting 20 opportunities a day. I'm getting five 
or six. <laughs> so I have to book. Right. Each one carries more weight. So yeah. I, you know, I want to invest a bit more because, and just to elaborate on that a bit, because I'm a niche voice being a British guy in America, I tend to get fewer opportunities than if right. I was living in the UK more like your situation where you're in the US, you're American. So I'm just a regular, regular old (laughs) 30-something lady. (laughs) I mean, no, I mean, you're amazing at what you do. It's true. No, 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 no. But but I like to to talk about myself that way. I like that for a few reasons. One, because it just reminds me, like, there, I literally have at least three to seven friends who are as fantastic as I hope to be, (laughs) who I text with every day. And if I don't book it, they will definitely book it because we're all kind of interchangeable. And then that also takes the pressure off of me. Yeah. Like I don't have to be perfect. And, and for me, like I can feel as I'm doing it, like, you know, from being a live performer as well, like, you can feel as you're doing it if it's great or not. Mm. For me, once I, once I start to feel this is not great, I stop the recording and just delete it Yeah, and go back and do it. But I do it in the moment. I find that the times when I'm not connected are the times when I'm criticizing myself as I'm reading the script. Yeah. Right. So like that inner voice in your head that as you're reading it is like, Karin, that's not conversational. Like you sound so announcery the whole time. And for me, going back and listening through what I've just done reinforces that critical voice. Oh, so if I go back and I listen back through, I'm more likely to go. Ugh, Karin, that's not conversational. That's that. What are you doing there? You sound so announcery. Yeah. And then that makes me stop and get back in the booth. And then the critic gets back into my head and goes, <laughs> as I'm reading it, okay, is this more conversational? Is this less announcery? And then for me, I feel like it just gets worse and worse. That's funny because <laughs> the I'm the more I analyze it. <laughs> I'm the opposite because I give myself freedom knowing that I'm going to listen back to it later and go, Yeah, uh, I can just do my thing knowing that, well, I'm not going to send something that's completely ridiculous because I'll review right. this later. Um, yeah. That takes the pressure off for me because I know that I'm going to give it a second listen. But then that can you can go nuts with that. I can totally right. see like you can go overboard and self-analysis. And I think for both of these systems, exposure and just re- repetition takes you out of that insane making you know spiral because yeah. for me i'll listen back and go yeah that's fine yeah, let's move on i'm not i'm not angry at myself or if it doesn't work i'll go okay i'll just go and do it again i'm not gonna stress about it and for you you have the confidence that you can give that performance and know i can just send that off that's at the very least in the ballpark of what they're looking for yeah and if they want me they'll choose me if they want Alyssa, someone else you know the, yeah, yeah Alyssa, exactly. maria joey everybody <laughs> yeah, else yeah morgan meadows yeah um i what was i going to say about that i was just thinking about how much i really love morgan meadows <laughs> yeah she's great well we lo- we was, definitely love her because we gave her the gig <laughs> i know we gave her the gig when we did our thing but i was thinking about i was thinking about something else of hers that i heard recently that i was just like oh this is so good it's great um, listeners, listen to listen to Morgan if you haven't. Yeah. Um, 
auditions for me are about trusting myself. Oh, and here's the other thing that I was going to ask you. How many times, Jamie, have you done an audition, whether it was a live audition with a casting director or something like that, and you've thought, oh, that was absolute crap, but then you booked the job? <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, it's a regular thing. Yeah, absolutely. I had this story. I feel like that's such a regular thing. <laughs> I have this thing where one time I was at a in-person casting. I've told this story before, but I won't say who it was. I don't think uh, they work in the industry anymore, which is, you know, not surprising. Um, and this casting director was known for just not paying attention, not listening, not communicating, nothing. And they had this little, like, yappy dog, you know, and, like, was holding the dog, playing with the dog. And I was interacting with the engineer. He was like, okay, do your take, blah, 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 okay. And uh, this person was would just every now and again would show, okay, uh, a bit faster or something like that. Did not care. And it was just so annoying. And I did this audition. And when I booked the gig, the guy was like, yeah, we really liked you. Had kind of a bad attitude that we really liked. <laughs> and, and it was like, perfect. It was <laughs> ideal. Um, but yeah, the amount of times when... You know, it's that it's the cold effect, right? When when you have a cold and because you're uh-huh. not thinking about it, you're probably going to give a more natural, realistic performance. Yes. Because um, you're distracted or something. And yeah, that has happened so many times for me. So my my point of bringing that up, because that's happened to me too, or like where I, where I open up a, an audition and I'm like, oh my God, I really do not want to book this job, but <laughs> yeah. I'm going to I'm going to send it because I know my agent wants me to send it. But like this I don't I just don't want to do this like this looks so tedious and boring and terrible and then I do the audition and then I get the job and I'm like dang it I mean but yes I feel so grateful for any work but still First world problems <laughs> right <laughs> but um but uh but my point is how many times has that happened where you've thought oh I totally sucked and then you booked the job to me that's the same thing as me not trusting my my first read. Like going back through and listening yeah. and thinking, oh, I totally suck. Let me redo this. When the first read for me is the most genuine, spontaneous, and probably natural and conversational because I haven't spent a long time analyzing the script. Yeah. Like there was no time to make it announcery. Yep. Because I didn't take the time to break it into three parts and decide that it was going to be every day we make the world a better place in three sections, right? Like, and have it have that cadence to it yeah. and all that. Because I'm literally reading the words for the first time, which is good if you're a good cold reader. Yeah. I think from years of narrating audiobooks, um, I became a really good cold reader. And that is a skill that I am very proud of and I want to, I, I like it. And it makes, yeah. it makes my workflow super fast and, and, and efficient. I found that when we've worked with, when we've done our commercial workouts or anything like that, when we've worked with people and they start to get in that self-critical spiral and they're starting to overanalyze every little thing, that technique of talking about something to get yourself into the mode. So for one that I do quite regularly is if people need to be conversational, I'll say, okay, tell me what you had for breakfast and mm-hmm. then take a half a beat and then get into your read. Now that serves sort of two purposes. A, it gets you used to hearing what you sound like conversationally and the rhythm and the, the tone and everything. 
and that immediately gets you into the zone. But it also, because you're thinking about breakfast and not the specs and not the read, it stops that process of, oh, I have to make it sound like this. I have to hit this point and this blah, blah, blah. Because the, the moment you do that, the moment it just sounds fake, you know, the mo- yeah. you know, when you do that. So that spontaneity is crucial, I think. And that also comes from practice and confidence that you only gain through, through doing it, you know, a thousand times. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think one skill that I learned being an opera singer and singing in foreign languages a lot, but having to emotionally connect to something is a way of emotionally connecting to an idea while saying words that make no sense. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or because like I think about all the times that I've sung in Latin, which is not a, a language that people speak conversationally right so there's there is a way for me to learn latin and for me to know what each individual word means but there's no real way to sound very conversational in latin because you can't like converse with people in latin um but i think about like how many different ways is a latin text set to make it happy or sad or whatever so i could say to you like Right. And it's like, and I'm like so excited. Or I can be like, and like, you know, the emotional connection behind those words, even yeah. if we don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Because um, it's in Latin. And I think that finding a way to connect to an idea in your auditions regardless of what the text says, is the best way to do auditions. Like, so if it's a Honda commercial and they're telling you, like, it's really emotional, um, it's a really emotional spot because they're bringing a baby home from the hospital for the first time, right? For me, I would think about the moment when we had my brand new baby and we strapped her into the back of a taxi and how proud I was. And then I would say, like, introducing the new Honda CRV. Right? And that's a totally different feeling mm. from like, okay, we want it to be like really upbeat and excited. And then it then I would think in my mind, like, okay, this is how I would tell my daughter, Mahalia, that we are gonna go to grandma's house later for dinner, which is her favorite place in the world. Yeah. I would be like, Mahalia, guess what? Later today, we are going to go to grandma's house, introducing the new Honda CRV, right? And it's the same, it's the same words. Yeah. And I'm saying absolute gibberish. Who says introducing in their regular life? <laughs> what is a CRV in our regular life? Like, I imagine, I know what it is, but like, yeah. if you have that emotional connection and can say, random blotty blah words in that emotional feeling it doesn't really matter what the words are i completely agree and i do the same thing um to me it feels like a different part of the brain too so you're not trying to fit those performance analysis parts of the brain in with the actual performance rather than thinking think of that pride when you're bringing you know your daughter home from the hospital just thinking about remembering that moment is almost like a separate part of your brain so you can then just do the reading and the speaking part you know exactly because that other part of your brain is free to to create that you know world for yourself in the moment yeah so 
I mean, imagination is a key part of this, right? I mean, this is such a key part. And people think commercials and like, you know, let's be honest, most of the auditions we do all day long are probably commercials, explainer videos, (laughs) medical narration, e-training. Like you don't get to go into the actor zone as Mm. often as we would like. Like we don't get to we don't get to do a video game where there's like real life circumstances of like you are in a war zone and people are firing at you and everyone around you is about to die. Now go, right? Yeah. So you have to you have to have that um imagine like those imaginary circumstances for your commercials. And if you can figure out how to tap into that really fast, yeah. Then you can do any audition. Part of it is just like choosing a viewpoint. Yeah. And developing that part of your brain is very beneficial for when you do those video game type gigs too, because when you're recording video games, you don't have any prep between the lines and you could be jumping all over the map when you're doing these lines. Like one minute you're being shot at, you know, on the battlefield and the next minute you're at the the hospital recovering after being, you know, stabbed in the neck or something, you know, and you are having to switch imagination modes line to line so actually the skills you develop they're very there's sort of a lot of cross-pollination there um all right let's talk about sound quality no you had something else yes to say? but i wanted to say one more thing about yeah. that and that is the skill set of being able to go like hey hey soldier like i guess we should go outside and like go you know hang out together and then all all the way to like go 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 like and be able to switch like that is a skill that you learn from auditioning a bunch of times during the day for yeah. a bunch of different genres and switching your brain over and over and over and over and over again. And I wanted, I, and I wrote this in the Facebook group, but I just want to tell this story very quickly. Um, and that is, it comes from the book um, uh, Art and Fear. And it's a story of the pottery class where this pottery class instructor divided his students into two groups. Group A, they were told to make one perfect pot over the course of a month, as beautiful and perfect and strong as they could possibly make it. Group B was told to make as many pots as possible in the course of a month. And at the end of the month, they were supposed to present their best work. At the end, group A, they ended up with pots that were weaker and, and not, as, not as innovative and safe Whereas group B, they had stronger pots that were super creative and crazy because they had spent a whole month making pots over and over and over again, every single step of the process, all different ways. And they presented their best work of all of those things instead of group A, which was the group that was just like trying so hard to make it perfect. Yeah, that's so analogous to what we do. (laughs) I mean, it's crazy. I love that. It's so true. Yeah, I mean, you've got to put the hours in to develop that. What is it like neuroplasticity? Is that what it's called? Yes, neuroplasticity. Yeah, I mean, that's great. Okay, love that. So yeah, sound quality is also a key part of this outside of our performance, what we can do to sort of, you know, stand out. And, you know, we did this casting recently for Vocation. We had a thousand submissions. And if your sound quality wasn't up to snuff, you could have been Tom Hanks in that booth and it wouldn't have made any difference. We would have booted you out. Um, immediately. So what do you have to say about that? What are your thoughts on sound quality? So it used to be that sound quality, you know, the best voice actors in the world 
it didn't matter if they had a home studio that sounded like crap. It didn't matter if they auditioned on their iPhones. It didn't matter. You know, all, all of that stuff didn't matter because they weren't competing with people with great home studios. And everyone knew that the final job was not going to record from home. You would go into a studio. Yeah. Now, since the pandemic, but actually really all along in places that were not New York and L.A., all along, it has been very important to have a very, very good sounding home studio. Yeah. Um, it's just that now post-pandemic, it's more important than ever. And that doesn't mean that you have to spend, you know, five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars on your home studio. <laughs> no. But it does mean that if you have an opportunity to have your home studio evaluated by someone who has ears that know what they're listening to, get your home studio evaluated and make the changes necessary and have it evaluated by a few different people, voice actor friends that you know, engineers that you know, pay pay for someone to do it if, if you want to. Um, I'm sorry to mention them, but voices.com, they, <laughs> they have a free service if you have a subscription where their engineers will listen to your home studio and, uh, and give you um, an evaluation and give you, give you suggestions about what to do. That's better than nothing, definitely. Yeah. So uh, get it evaluated by people who know what a good home studio sounds like and make the changes necessary to make it really great. And if you are new, it can seem quite daunting, all this stuff, um, when you're starting out. But you... Definitely, this was solidified for me when we did the casting recently. You only have to clear a bar of quality. You don't have to necessarily sound top 1% million dollar studio quality. You have to clear a bar to be good enough. And actually clearing that bar is often easier than you think and certainly cheaper than you think. You don't, mm -hmm. with a little ingenuity and a bit of knowledge, most people can figure out a way to make a, an audition that is possible even with a usb mic without a booth with you know some um blankets and what we do when we go to hotels and stuff like that and some ingenuity yeah. we can figure it out i wanted to ask you about that auditioning on, on the road <laughs> yeah um you may or may not know this about me jamie but I once locked myself inside a hotel closet. <laughs> yes, I do know this, yeah. <laughs> trying to do voiceover work, uh, which then w was, uh, we turned lemons into lemonade and, and turned the recording of me trapped in the closet into a, um, an episode of This American Life, which was an opera. But that's a story for another day. Um, I see people traveling with a chaotic eyeball on top of a, a desk. <laughs> yeah. Um, I see people traveling with tiny USB mics. I don't know how they sound. They might sound absolutely fantastic. I don't know. But like, what's the best situation for someone who has to travel? I mean, the best situation obviously is like, you just only travel on the weekends and yeah. you don't leave your booth. But when you, but when you have to travel, like for people coming to VO Atlanta, they're traveling for work. What is the best way to create a decent sounding booth in a pinch what are the things that you should pay attention to i mean turning off any noise that is being created in the space so for example fridges ac anything that you can control is the sort of number one um 
before you've even arrived at the hotel, if you can speak to the hotel and say, can you put me in a room that's like at the far end of a corridor away from the elevators, like things like that, that's going to drive you nuts if you're trying to record and there's people slamming doors every five seconds. In terms of the space when you get in there, I, you know, you just got to sort of figure it out. What you want to do is try and surround yourself with soft, squishy stuff. And the good thing in a hotel room, you know, definitely ask for a few extra pillows if you can have them sent up so you can maybe leave it set up permanently. But you can create yourself a little blanket pillow fort on the desk or on the bed. Um, worst case scenario is you sit on the bed and throw the duvet over your head and record under the duvet. You can't be under there for very long because you'll pass out. But if you can surround yourself in soft, squishy stuff and have your voice be absorbed on at least three sides, that will really help to reduce any room echo. The luggage rack. Yeah, thing, the luggage rack. You know, yeah. That's always a, that's usually something that's pretty good, good structure, structure to build things around. Good yeah. Bones. You can put like one of the chairs on the desk. I've done that one time yes, before. I've and done I've, that too. <laughs> I've done it underneath or the, the chair. Uh, or the uh, the ironing board. Yeah, sometimes ironing can board. work. Although it's a bit t- tall, that sometimes can work. What I did is I one time I put a chair on the bed. And put like tissues under the the legs so it didn't like mark up the you know, and then I just threw the du- duvet over the chair, and then I just kind of crawled in there and was like lying on my belly and <laughs> recording you know under the chair. <laughs> um, that wasn't something you could leave set up. No, and maybe no. it wasn't like the greatest performance ever, but in a pinch, you know, yeah. we made it. We made it work. The problem with people who travel a lot though is that you. You never know what you're going to walk into when you get to a hotel. Yeah. And you never know if it's going to work or not. And you never know. And you never have consistent sound quality. So, like, if you're recording a a job and they want to pick up for something and you recorded half the job when you were, you know, in L.A. in a hotel and then half the job when you were in Phoenix in a hotel, like, the sound quality might not match because you're in two completely different spaces. And you might have the same mic, but it doesn't. It doesn't really work. That's one of the main reasons I had to quit opera singing (laughs) is because I was traveling too much to be able to have a consistent sound in voiceover. Yeah. Um, And then I just wasn't available for jobs, which was, you know, it just it just meant that I I didn't have as much income because I had to not not do as as much work. I will say that now. Some of the like denoising, de-reverb, like RX type programs are amazing. And they won't help you if you're doing a live session because you can't run them live down the line. But if you're sending in an audition or recording a job and you have to just send it in, it's not necessarily going to match your studio from home, but you could get a sample of room tone. You teach the software, that's the sound we don't want. (laughs) And it takes that out of your recording in post. And it does a pretty good job. You know, there are ways to make this work in a pinch, which everyone does. You know, people people record promos in their cars on the way to somewhere else. And I'm not going to say who it is, but I know someone who does that regularly. (laughs) (laughs) And it gets on TV. Um, uh, How important is, when you're auditioning online, how important important is the audition letter? Let's think about the audition that we did when people sent their audition letters. How many of those did you read? Oh, very. Oh, it depended on the um, the way the site worked. Actually, sometimes yeah. you clicked on the name and the letter came up on the right hand side, and I found myself reading that while it was playing. Um, yeah. But sometimes, but when it's just like a list of pl- 
play buttons and you click play. Never. <laughs> never. never. Or the associated demos. You know, I don't think I ever clicked on any of those either. No. What about you? No. I don't even think I read the one. I don't even remember which site they popped up on. I think Voice123, definitely. They popped up? Yeah. If you, you click, click on, on it. Yeah. But you can choose to listen to it all in a list. Yeah. But if you click on each one, it pops up. But, yeah. But honestly, never. I think for those letters, people think about them so much. Like, oh, what am I going to say? What am I going to yeah. do? I think like short, sweet, professional, yeah. to the point. Like, don't put your pickup policy necessarily in your opening letter with all of the different contingencies. Like, yeah. if it's this many words, then it costs this much. And this, like, if you have a pickup policy, send that after they already want to hire you, um, because. I think that those, like having everything listed out, it just makes people seem like they're finicky and not easy to work with. And that was the number one thing. That's the number one thing that a bunch of my clients have all said about online casting. They want to know, one, do you sound like what they have in their head? Or do you sound like somebody that is what they want for their project? Number two, do you seem easy to work with? Yeah. And if you are easy to work with in the job, they'll just hire you again. Because it's so much easier to hire somebody that you've already worked with than it is to go and find someone new if you don't need, like if someone were going to hire me for a job, but then they need a British male voice for the next one, they're not going to hire me again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. um, they'll, they'll hire Jamie they'll instead. They'll hire Mike Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, it's the same thing as like when you go and you get your hair cut and it's really great and you trust the person that's been cutting your hair for that long. <laughs> You don't want to go find a new hairdresser every time you need a haircut. I don't know you what understand. that's like. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get that Sure reference. you do. <laughs> I you remember. have hair. I remember. My wife cuts my hair. <laughs> Aw, I know I cut my husband's hair too. I just want to say, just to wrap up this section, I think we've talked a lot about the different ways that you and I audition, the different ways that all voice actors audition. Mm. And That's all just to say that there are so many ways to do it and do it right and that every voice actor should find the way that works best for them. The workflow that is like, ah, this feels great and I feel happy about what I'm sending out into the world. Don't feel like you're doing something wrong just because you don't do it the way I do it or you don't do it the way Jamie does it. But if you heard anything from us that you're like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. I'm going to try that. Try it and see if it works. Okay, so next we are going to audience questions. And we asked in our vocation voiceover group, which you should join if you're not currently a member, any questions, thoughts, concerns people had about auditioning. So let's go down. Jen Walden asks, do you give more than one sample read in an audition or do you give them a few with different energy levels? Ooh, I love this one. Um, if it's a commercial, I typically do two takes. I mean, always number one, do what they ask you to do. If they say one take, just send one take. If they don't say anything and it's a short script, 30 second commercial or less, I typically give two takes. And I usually do, I don't do things that are totally different from each other. I usually do, I I see what the script is. I give it my best first take and then I give a second take that has maybe like just like a slightly different underlying feeling. I always say when in doubt, 
second take, just do it again, but faster. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that gives a totally different feeling when something is like two or three seconds faster than what you just did. It's a different feeling. Um, I also, I might imagine different music underneath it for the second take. So one take one, I imagine like as like happy, chill, upbeat music. And then take two, I might imagine like more poppy, fun, you know, up-tempo music. Um, and that just changes the read that I, that I have. But yeah, that's what I do. I would love to know for the casting directors or whoever it is that asks for two takes, how many of those second takes ever get actually listened to? Because I know when we did ours, that if people sent two, I I would never have gotten, I never got there. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think probably, because you know, there are some casting directors that ask for two takes on separate files. Mm. Yeah. I imagine that they do that because they are listening to both takes and deciding which one they like the best. Yeah. And sending off all of the best takes to the end client. Yeah. And also, once they've done one pass, they might go in for the possibles and listen to both takes. Yeah. Like that. For sure. Be- because I think if if you're not right, after, you know, you're not going to ch- change their mind on the second take. You yeah. know, but yeah. Okay, cool. Oh, Jamie, slating. Yes. Do you slate? I mean, I do when I'm asked for it. Yes. Um, I've started changing my slating policy a little bit. Me too. Really? Yes. <laughs> I started putting them at the end because I just want to get into it. And I just say my name and unless they ask for it like up front, I'm I just think about I can't say my name properly. Like I it, I I feel like I can't say my name. Really? <laughs> I don't know. I'm I, always like Kari Gilfrey. <laughs> I have to Karen say my Gilfrey. Oh no, that's not conversational. At I all. stress <laughs> more about slating my name than I do about any other aspect of voiceover, uh, and I've never gotten good at it. So, what do you? What have how you changed you say, about your slate? How do you say your name? How do you say your name? Jamie Muffet. Oh, yeah, but this good. sounds stupid. It just sounds stupid <laughs> saying your own name. <laughs> um, what have you started? Yeah, doing I differently? almost wish that I could say, "Hi, I'm Karen Gilfrey," and like then I, that would be way better to me than. Karen Gilfrey, like, uh, and do you uh, do you slate in in the mood of the piece, or do you do it differently? Oh yeah, no, yeah. you can't be like Karen Gilfrey in these unprecedented times. <laughs> right, like, that, that doesn't work. Show some range. <laughs> I've heard that argument before, actually. <laughs> um, just show range. No, definitely not. Um, but uh, oh, so I've started just not slating by default unless asked. Yeah. So I just don't slate anymore yeah. unless it says please slate and then do two takes. And almost never slate for a pay to play. It's this is all agents. Uh, you stuff. know, you yeah. never slate for a pay to play because your name is right next to the your file, so you yeah. don't need to, and it totally breaks up the flow. So I would say I, I used to say definitely slate for any audition through your agent unless they ask you not to, and then for pay to play sites, don't slate at all. But now my philosophy is don't slate at all unless asked. See, I put it on the end because then they've got the they've got it on the file somewhere. If they, I probably should do it on the end because I have a weird name that people want to know how to say. I mean, half the time nobody says my name right anyway. Yeah, let's move on. Let's see, Tracy Lindley. What are some differences between your process or approach when it's an audition from an agent, a production house you've already worked with before, and a casting website? Pay to play. Zero difference. Yeah. Except for where I upload it. Like, honestly, zero difference. And 
one thing that I, this is kind of a blessing and a curse. One of my agents, representatives who shall not be named, they don't send um, fees with their audition. So mm. you don't know how, how much something pays when you audition for it. There are reasons why I don't like that. But one reason why I do like that is that it means that I'm giving the same attention to every single audition. If you look at an audition and it says, this is going to pay $20,000, yeah. for me, that makes me go, okay, yeah. <laughs> all right, it has to be really good. <laughs> let, me, let me see. <laughs> Whereas if I don't know, then I'm just reading it as myself every single time and there's nothing in my brain that's like, and, and the same is true, like, if something is under a code name and I don't know what it is, I'm going to give it the same attention as I give everything, which is I'm giving you myself. I'm giving you myself on this day, in this moment, and nothing is worth more or less to me than anything else. Um, and then later you're like, you booked Grand Theft Auto, which I never have. But if I had, I, I would be like, yes. <laughs> I was a Radio Premo guy on Grand Theft Auto at one point. Were you? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, James, I find the ones I really want, I never book. If it's right, like a subject same. matter, something that I'm just like so passionate about. Like I did, I'm a Formula One dork. And I had, I've had a few things that are Formula One related and I'm like, oh, I would love this. And never, no, I just want it too much. It just doesn't, doesn't happen because I want it too much. Oh, so. side note question for you. Are you a Formula One dork because of the show? <laughs> Please. No, before, <laughs> before the show. <laughs> That's not even a good representation of the, of the sport. Come on. Because apparently they, there's been like an increase in fanship. By I know. Like 700,000% or something. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of. That's a, a real, those a are real numbers. Yeah. 700,000. <laughs> yeah. It was really dwindling in popularity. And then that show has completely turned it. And like, it's like really popular amongst like kids yeah, because uh -huh, they like, uh -huh. there's like a lot of younger drivers now. Let's turn this into a Formula yeah. One podcast. I'd love to do Great. That. I'll tell you about the time that I got to, uh, that I accidentally went to the Ferrari factory in Switzerland. What? Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll have to talk about that another time. Okay. But that's this is not a spin-off show. We'll do another time. <laughs> um, Kristen Price Wilson asks, since it's a breakfast show, what do you have for breakfast? What food helps you feel ready to get in the booth? Uh... I'm going to sound like an absolute jerk when I say this, <laughs> <Can't wait>. but <laughs> I do intermittent fasting, and so I don't actually eat until 12 or 1, and when I do, I eat lunch. Although breakfast is my favorite foods that exist, Same. and back when I did eat breakfast, I would eat two soft-boiled eggs, a piece of sourdough toast, and butter, Kerrygold mm. butter. Oh, Kerrygold. And it's yeah. just the greatest breakfast you can imagine. I do, however, always drink um, uh, coffee with some kind of, I don't know, usually half and half, maybe like oat milk if I have it. Someone asked about coffee or tea. Who was it? By the way, I'm a firm believer that you need to just live your life and you don't have to worry about what you're eating and just like eat ice cream if you want and... <laughs> whatever you need yeah. to make yourself feel good for your life because this is not a situation where like I have one performance and I need to make sure that I eat the right things before my one performance. You're performing every day, all day long. So just live your life. Yeah. Live your life. 
The only some thing some days I... you might be hungover. Some <laughs> days you might have a stomach bug. Yeah, you still got to do your job. The only thing I will take into consideration is is dairy because it affects me for voiceover. But everything else for me, I don't. I don't even make any changes to my diet whatsoever. Um, okay, let's. Oh, that was Luana Dyer asked about the coffee or tea. Wait, you didn't answer coffee or tea. I know the answer, but well, both. I mean, I have both all the time. <laughs> Probably true. more tea than coffee. Uh, but uh, which tannin is best? I don't, who knows? I have no idea. Tannin? Are we talking about wines? <laughs> I guess. Um, Sixta Morel, to audition or not when project seems full? When auditioning for a project that already has 40 plus people, sometimes I feel discouraged to send mine. You've been on the other side from the vocation ad. Do you do clients get the auditions in the order of first audition that comes, or is it in the order reversed? And the last ones are heard first because of how platforms stack them. Okay, we could talk about this literally all day long. I could teach a three-hour class about just this, but <laughs> let me just break it down into the best points. If it's something that fits you pretty well, and there are like 40 or fewer auditions, definitely audition. If there are 40 or more auditions, I would say look at it. And if it is something that is just absolutely the best thing for you, you know you're going to give a killer read. You don't care if they even hear it or not. You just really want to do this audition. I mean, you care if they hear it or not. Just submit anyway, even if it seems like they might not listen to your audition. There are a ton of other factors that go into it. I would say as far as like looking at how the auditions are listed, Badalgo is the one site that lists everything in reverse. But the thing is, meaning as the auditions come in, they're at the top of the pile. The newest ones get seen first. But you never know when the client is going in to listen to the auditions. So it could be that 10 people sent in their auditions and then the then the end client is like, oh, let me go check out what auditions have come in. They listen to all 10 of those. So then those 10 people are the first because they got their auditions in first. When you assume like the client is waiting until the audition is closed after two days, and then they're going to open it up and listen to everything at once. That's really not usually what happens. So my rule of thumb is just audition for it if you want to. On voice one, two, three, if your audition is never opened, it does not count for or against you algorithmically. Mm. So if you feel like, I mean, just audition for the things that are right for you if you want to audition for them when you have time to audition for them. That's my rule of thumb. Yeah, no, that's great. And don't, think, don't overthink it. I, I think this don't overthink things is, applies to the technical process and the performance post process too. I mm-hmm. think that's something that we've both kind of settled on. Um, okay, great. We will at some point do a tea time, but I think we have to start wrapping this thing up. <laughs> tea time is a section that we want to do where we talk about something that's happened in the industry that maybe uh, is a little controversial or some kind of drama that's occurred. Um, but I think just because this this went on longer than we we're expecting, we'll we'll skip that for this time. But uh, yeah, um, anything you want to add? Any final thoughts before we wrap this thing up, Karen? I think when it comes to auditioning, don't overthink it and trust yourself. Yeah. Those are the two things that I would say. And if you have any, if there are any 
pain points in your overall voiceover career? Like, oh, I would be so much better at auditioning if my home studio were better and I didn't have to worry constantly about traffic noise or like, I just don't feel like I have the acting capability to be able to do this or, oh, I'm so slow at using my recording software. Whatever that happens to be, take steps to just fix that. Yeah. Because your workflow and your audition quality and your confidence in yourself and the amount that you trust yourself will only get better if you just fix the little things that you're annoyed with or that are causing you pain in your career. Yeah, and everything is a work in progress. And that for sure. That learning process, that learning curve is like a straight up line when you start off, but it does level off. Things start clicking into place, you learn how to use the equipment that you have and you learn a process that works for you and you know, that's not to say that you don't stop learning, you do carry on learning, but that initial like chaos clears over time. Um, okay. All right. We should probably say that we have our evocation conference coming up in September. We are going to be posting yes. about that shortly when we have more details. But if you're interested, this is our virtual conference devoted to the business of voiceover. Um, it's coming up September 8th to 10th, 2023. And, um, if you want to find out more, you can go to our website, vocationconference.com. You can join our Facebook group, Vocation Voiceover. We're now becoming a little more active on Instagram. Vocation we are. NYC, is that what we are? No, Vocation Conference, I think, on Instagram. Vocation Conference, at Vocation Conference. Yeah. And we'll be back next week with another exciting breakfast show. Yes!